This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Flyer fans, and welcome back, fair listeners of Talking Out Loud, the internet's best Dayton basketball podcast. I'm here today for Rewind Wednesday, and to complement my conversation with Brooks Hall coming up tomorrow on October 22nd, I'm releasing two conversations this week, one with Keith Wallace-Kowski from last year, and the other one's right here, a conversation with Sean Finn from April 2020. This is about a month after the Flyer season was canceled in 2020 and a couple weeks into a strict lockdown quarantine. So this is one of my first interviews that I had done when the season had ended, and it really um, is one I'll remember forever uh, because the the pain of the season was so real. But I got to sit down with Sean, who was one of my favorite players as a kid on on those teams, and talk to him about some of the stories from his playing days. So welcome in. This is Rewind Wednesday. Let's do it. <laughs> joined by sean finn sean how is quarantine life treating you man you all right oh man well first uh thanks for having me uh obviously not a a lot else that i could be uh doing right now so uh you know, happy to join the podcast well, gee, gee, thanks sean. <laughs> um you know life is uh you know okay we're making the best of it um the kids are keeping us busy you know work when kind of fortunate enough that um you know we haven't seen a huge slowdown so staying busy there but you know like everyone else just trying to uh to make sense of all of this trying to do the best we can and hope that um, return to normal is uh sooner than later yeah and i think that's kind of where everybody's at right now um million dollar question to start us off that i get from just about everybody when i told them that we were doing this interview what are you up to these days? Where, where has life taken you? Uh, well, so uh, it's taken me to the exciting world of uh, mortgages. And uh, with my significant other, we own a mortgage company here in Kansas City. So we're uh, do business here in Kansas, Missouri, we're licensed in uh, Florida as well. Ohio and Michigan coming soon. So shameless plug, anybody out there that looking to buy a home or uh, refinance, I'd be happy to uh, to help you out. But um, yeah, it's taking it uh, here. I enjoy it. It's definitely a little bit uh, of a long ways from playing basketball, but uh, you know, it's been good for myself and uh, my family. And uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's something to do, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's I just always laugh because I, I had to tell people I was like, oh, you know, next interview, I, I got lined up and I talked to Sean and and that's every, everybody always asks because I feel like, 
you know, we get so invested with the team and, and everybody really cares about the guys on the squad. And then when guys graduate, um, like you said, you know, life takes you away from basketball and then people kind of lose track of like where you ended up. Um, so that's that's always a question I get from anytime I'm interviewing somebody like those are former players like, man, what are they up to these days? You know, and everybody's kind of <laughs> has, has like a different answer for that. Exactly. Um, but, and I'm, I'm a little bit uh, removed from, you know, the Southwest Ohio area, you know, although I'm making, uh, you know, I make a trip up there every year and still very close with, uh, you know, a lot of the guys. And I was fortunate enough to see the uh, the last game of the season for the Flyers there on senior nights, which was an incredible game. So I'm still connected and I try to follow along and catch games on TV. But, uh, you know, a little bit remote out here in Kansas City. <laughs> you know, it, it, I have to laugh if you, you bring up that point. And uh, for, for the listeners out there, whether you're uh, on a jog or at home, whatever you're doing right now, um, yeah, I figured we would kind of go through a little bit of, of the career of Sean from um, 2000 to 2004. But oh, uh, when you said, I know it's just a while ago, Don't man. And I love these interviews because, uh, like, I watched all these games as a kid because, uh, you know, when when you guys, your senior class was going through, I was 14. So I was, like, right in the thicket of, like, having my boyhood wonder and, you know, watching uh, basketball games. Making me games. feel old, too. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I'm, I'm getting up there, too, man. I sat in the yeah. student section for a game this year when uh, when class wasn't in session. And I got a ton of shit for it. People were like, <laughs> the old guy out there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you brought up a, a pretty funny point that I was thinking about just as I was kind of uh, when I was prepping for, for our talk today, just kind of going through the games, refreshing my memory about like which games were won, lost, you know, whatever. And I laughed because it's of like the difference of how we watch games now. And, and what I mean by that is, of course, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So when you guys like, you know, when you're in your playing days, a lot of times like those weeknight games when you played like George Washington or something like that, like yeah. I had to check the score in the paper the next day to figure out <laughs> if you guys won, you know, and like nowadays you can pretty much watch any Flyers game with like a good internet connection, you know, Absolutely. and I just, kind of, I just had to laugh about now because like you said, you're in Kansas City, but you probably have the ability to watch just about every game now, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I got the ESPN plus subscription that carries a lot of games. I think it's uh what is it? CBS or NBC Sports carries a lot. And obviously with the success the Flyers had this year, ESPN was starting to pick up a lot of them as well. So there's uh, very few games that I wasn't actually able to see live. Uh, and then the ones that I wasn't, you know, would usually get a link to, through, you know, some website to be able to catch it or worst case scenario, have to listen to Keith or Brooks on the radio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is it is always funny to tune in now and hear those guys on the radio call? Oh yeah, it's uh it's it's funny and you'll know, be uh sending texts mid uh mid game to Keith, you know, even if I'm just watching the game on uh TV, we have like a group chat going and trying to get him distracted uh by sending something outrageous or you know, an inappropriate picture, but uh you know, always and, and then just seeing if he'll reach into his pocket and look at his phone during the uh the broadcast, but we haven't been able to break him yet. He surprisingly does a good job of keeping it professional. <laughs> I, I would have to say uh, that you're right. And I'm not above that either. I, I constantly do that to John Bedell during the flyer feedback show. Um, so shout out to John. He knows I send him a lot of Twitter DMS about random stuff during flyer feedback. 
Um, I I know, I know exactly what that's like, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just funny to kind of think back on, on those years and just like how difficult it was to to watch games. Cause I remember like you guys usually had like two games a year that were on ESPN two and they were always like the Xavier games. But then outside (laughs) of that, you know, if you weren't like in Maui or, you know, an exempt tournament or whatever, I mean, that was it. Like there was no national television for the flyers back in those days. So exactly. um, yeah, it was come tough. a long way, man. <laughs> it really has. And it was tough for, you know, people out here like my high school buddies and family and everybody that wanted to keep up with us. You know, you, like you said, it's it was tough for them to to follow along. We did have the Xavier games. And then, you know, I think when St. Joe's was really good, those games were televised. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it was them just kind of following along online or you know, <laughs> or having to catch it, you know maybe scrolling across the the bottom of ESPN. I think it was only the top 25. So maybe when we were a little bit better and we were ranked in the low 20s, you know, our game scores would be kind of along the ticker. But, you know, we, we have a lot easier nowadays for sure. Oh, no doubt about it. Well, that's that's a great place to kick it off and kind of get into some of that stuff because um, I have always wondered – uh, yep. How the hell did you end up at Dayton? Uh, like walk <laughs> us through, you got, so you got recruited by Oliver Purnell and his staff, right? Yep. Um, but how does a guy from the middle of Kansas end up in Southwest Ohio? <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good question. And it's a, it's a fair one as well. Um, you know, I, it started just getting letters from University of Dayton and other schools. There was, you know, several, a lot more local that were recruiting and I would always at least try to do some research on the schools once I get it. Cause I will be honest when I first got my first letter from the university of Dayton, I had no idea where it was, you know, anything about the school, anything about the team. Um, did start doing a little bit of research and that's when they were having a, uh, you know, they were having some success. And then Frank Smith was an assistant on that team and he was, kind of the one that was my main contact. So he would do the calls. I think you're allowed to call weekly or so, and he'd always do a check-in. And uh, what really impressed me with, uh, with him and Dayton is that, you know, Hayes, Kansas is a small town out in Western Kansas. Like it's difficult to get to. uh, And Frank Smith would come to practices. Sometimes we have morning ones. Sometimes you have late ones. He would show up to these practices, which, at the time it was super impressive. And then once I got to Dayton and to see like these assistant coaches and how hard that they work and, you know, they might be traveling out, you know, during the week to go see some random kid, you know, far away and then be back for practice. Um, So he was just real genuine, just a nice person. Even if he was just kind of there and they could have limited contact, it would be kind of like a a wave or anything like that. Um, You know, I just was just really impressed. So as I, uh, you know, added them towards the top of the list. I really started to follow along. Um, you know, they had the good year. I think the heartbreaking loss was at Purdue, maybe in the tournament uh, ninety nine. Uh, um, yeah, it was that was uh, two th- March two thousand. They lost. Okay, the yeah, so yeah, ninety is March two thousand, and uh, you know, followed along, and then went up for the visit. Um, you know, they kind of sold me on the chance to step in and play right away with losing Ashman and Cooper. Um, you know, they didn't do a big job of selling, you know, guys like Keith, Nate, Yante, um, that were returning that, 
were going to be ahead of me. But, uh, you know, they told me the opportunity to step in and play. Obviously, um, academics played a big part in it as well. Um, you know, know that it's a smaller private school, one that, you know, kind of aligned with uh, what I was looking for. So it uh, was just, you know, a lot of things really meshed well with me. My, uh, my personality and Oliver Purnell's personality real similar, very laid back. Um, so, you know, it was... It was a good fit, but yeah, definitely starting out was <laughs> something that I had no idea what Dayton was all about. But, you know, learning and then learning the passion of the fans and, you know, 13,000 people out to see a game versus, you know, Prairie View A&M, you know, it says something about the, you know, the special, you know, how special Dayton basketball is to the community. Yeah, absolutely. And that's certainly something that, um, you know, I talk about a lot because, um, you know, this this show wouldn't be possible without the thousands of people that, that listen to it. And that's how I'm able to to get in touch with a lot of the guys because of that that passion. Um, you know, out of curiosity, what was your list down to when you chose Dayton? Did you have other couple schools in mind? Um, I did. So, uh, you know, the Kansas schools were there. KU was kind of a, a very late addition, so never really took them seriously. And they were uh, pretty honest. They're like, oh, you know, you're not going to have a chance to see the floor for a couple of years. Um, Kansas State was recruiting hard. I think it was Gary Woodland. I'd, I'd have to look up the name. He wasn't there uh, very long, but he had just got the job, and uh, they were pretty hard on me to be, you know, one of their first recruits to that new coaching staff. Uh, same with Wichita State. Um, Mark Turgeon had just got hired there and they came pretty hard. And then some other schools, uh, Oklahoma. And then, uh, I went to university of Pittsburgh with, uh, Ben Howland was the, uh, the coach there. And I would say K-State, Pittsburgh and Dayton probably fell in my top three. We uh, we talked about before we went on the the interview today, where Sean was said, "I'm at home, and there might be some children barging in in the midst of this." Can you hear the so. Can you hear the gazoos? I think. Uh, well, they, <laughs> that's, they well, so that's that's part of the podcast that I think keeps everything real because you know we're just we're just real people just talking dating basketball stories. That's what you get. Everybody's at home. Uh, there's dogs barking. There's kids running around. I mean, you know, that's that's just the real aspect of, of the uh, of the podcast business. So you're starting to see it firsthand now. Exactly. I'm, for some reason, a six four and a one year old don't seem to listen very well. But uh, <laughs> and we we have an I'm working from home. We have an office space, but you know the kids know where it is and. We have an au pair here and Polly uh, that stays with us. Polly does a great job with them, but you know, three to one is, is kind of hard to <laughs> keep up with. So she's outnumbered and sometimes they'll uh, defy her and come sprinting in here with a gazoo, which just happened with my metal one just now. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if that happens throughout the course of this interview, you just know, listeners, that uh, we're just keeping it real for you. So <laughs> exactly. uh, I'm exactly. not cutting the audio. This struggle. Yeah, we're, we're getting all of it. Um, so, you know, you alluded to this a little bit and it's, you know, it's kind of a good place to, to take things. So you, you commit to Dayton, um, you know, just off a, a tournament appearance. Obviously, you know, your freshman year, they didn't didn't make it um, and you yeah. didn't see the floor too much uh, that that freshman year. Um, 
you know, was there thoughts in your mind of like, you know, I want to transfer out of here? Was it like, I'm just going to work harder to see the floor? Um, do you, you know, was it like your game just wasn't quite ready to be there yet? I mean, what, what do you attribute that to in, the, in that first year at UD? I mean, it, it was probably you know, a combination of maybe not being there uh, yet and then, you know, having better players in front of me. Um, you know, I, it started out out in Maui, I think, it was awesome experience. We had a great run, knocked off a couple of top 25 teams, got some exposure uh, out there. And, you know, I played and I thought, you know, in my mind at least that I was playing some meaningful minutes against, you know, some top 25 uh, programs. And obviously when you're playing three games in three days, you know, more, more rotation has to be used, obviously, to – conserve energy. Um, but, you know, I really thought that I was going to have an opportunity to be a contributor, especially as we head into the regular season and, you know, just didn't see the, the minutes there. You know, became frustrated, homesick, you know, all that kind of stuff. You start questioning the what ifs, you know, did I make the right decision coming out here? And, uh, you know, I had a very real and honest conversation with, uh, Purnell at the end of the season or after we had wrapped up, we were getting ready to um, take our foreign trip to Australia. And I sat down in his office and kind of let him know where my head was at, that, you know, I kind of needed to know if I had a future here at Dayton or if, you know, I might be best, uh, you know, looking somewhere else. And, uh, you know, he said, stay with me. Let's go through this tour in Australia. He's like, I'm planning to start you every game while we're down there. And, you know, let's kind of reevaluate after that. And he stuck to his word, started every game down in Australia, played pretty well for the, uh, the most part, obviously, you know, the competition is uh, you know, maybe not great. And you were kind of there to enjoy the experience more than it was about uh, serious basketball competition. But um, it helped my confidence tremendously. And, you know, that led into having a good summer and then starting uh, every game, I think the rest of my career without <laughs> the exception of, I think, one where uh, Coach Gregory was super pissed off at me in the senior year. But, uh, <laughs> other, you know, other than that, it went well. And I'm, you know, very glad that, uh, you know, I had that conversation with him. Glad, you know, Australia went the way that it did. And then, very happy that uh, that I stayed there and, you know, had the career I did. And, you know, probably could have been a lot better, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was it was still good nonetheless and very happy with my decision to stay. Yeah. And, you know, these are all questions that are always kind of funny when we look back nowadays, because like, you know, in, in the year 2020, you know, guys recruiting trail, you know, the last couple of schools they consider, you know, yeah. that like the transfer portal has been as hot as ever. You know, I mean. We're talking oh, totally. about like seven, eight hundred kids right now that are in the transfer portal. Um, it's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And and like in those days, like transferring was like a divorce. You know, it was like you wouldn't <laughs> even think about it unless it was like the most extreme circumstances, right? I mean, that was kind exactly. of like a. It was. I don't want to say it was like a black mark, but like a lot more heavy consideration was given to transferring back in those days, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it just it wasn't it wasn't a thing. Now, like you said, there's everybody's in the transfer portal. I think saw like Wichita State. You know, keep it local. It seems that half their team is in the transfer portal right now. Um, so it's 
Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a different climate now than it was 16 years ago. Yeah, and it's really, you know, it's, it's in everything with college basketball these days, whether it's the recruiting or the television or, you know, just everything. It, it's kind of taken on a life of its own, whereas it was no always popular back in the day. But now it's just so accessible and everybody wants to be tuned into everything. And, and I myself am not really huge on recruiting or keeping up with recruiting news, but I know a lot of guys that are. And, oh, yeah. um, and you know, that, that has sites that are just dedicated to that now. It's just for recruiting. Um, <laughs> it so, is not. Yeah, I just, you know, sometimes I have to take a look back at like, you know, just even 10 years ago at how far it's come. Um, yeah. So, you know, the first two years there, you guys were in the NIT. Um, and then that, the next two years, obviously, you guys made the dance. You know, when you went into your junior year, did you kind of have a feeling that that you guys were going to start to turn the corner and be a, a better team? Because that, you know, from the sophomore year to junior year to level set for listeners, um, you know, they lost two seniors, which was Yonta Holland and David Morris. And then everybody else came back, um, of course, being Brooks Hall senior year there is the one I'm talking about heading into yeah. the uh, 0203 season. Um, but, you know, preseason, you always have a pretty good idea of like how good your team is going to be. You know, did you kind of feel that as well? Like, hey, we got a tournament team finally. Uh, yeah, really, really did. Um, you know, we you know, we had a good summer again. And then, you know, you can you can just feel it like in the uh, the preseason workouts and training, like everybody was on the same page like we. We knew it was going to be a, uh, a special season. Uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> we know what happened at the end, and it didn't quite end the way uh, you know any of us wanted it. But uh, we knew we had uh, we had something special. We knew that we were going to be one of the you know top teams in the league, and uh, you know it was it was a memorable year. It was one of uh, my most fun years you know ever. It was great. Yeah, and um, I asked this exact same question to Keith, and hopefully I can phrase it as eloquently as I did the first time. <laughs> but, um, you know, what in those first two years prepared you to be dominant in the next two years? I mean, can you point to one thing maybe in like practice or your growth as a player, or maybe you just you guys bonded as a team? Um, you know, the question is basically like looking back on the first two years of the career, versus the last two years. I mean, you guys took huge steps and were tournament teams. So, like, can you attribute anything in those first two years to making sure you were prepared for the big moments? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think the, the team was definitely closer. You know, it's like the core guys that, you know, we had in our my junior and senior year with Brooks, Nate Comeback, Keith, um, Ramad, so DJ and Frank coming in later as uh, transfers is everyone really just got along very well. And I, I think my freshman year, you know, maybe it's just cause I was freshman. I wasn't really included in stuff. I feel like it wasn't as close. You know, you had a kind of a star in Tony Stanley, but then uh, you know, after that, you know, didn't really have, you know, a real, you know, cohesive unit, I guess. And, you know, I could just tell, throughout that we were, we liked each other. We liked being around um, each other and obviously getting in the weight room and getting better at, you know, my personal skill set, uh, you know, helped and just maturing, understanding the game a little bit more. But I would just say that we, you know, we really liked each other and we, uh, we were all kind of fighting towards a common goal. And I know that sounds like super cliche, but uh, 
you know, I think that that helped us become, you know, the team that we, uh, we were. No, I, I was about to say that um, that's spot on to what we heard as talk tracks this past year, because when the guys came out of Maui, I remember um, I talked to Mark Titus who covered the tournament now works for Fox. And he said, you know, he goes, I knew this Dayton team was going to be good because they liked being around each other. And he goes, I know that's a stupid thing to say. He goes, but like all teams don't get along famously. And he said, I think this Dayton team is going to be special because they all are like friends. Like they like hanging out together. Um, And I think sometimes people take that for granted as like an important aspect of the team. But, but I mean, you're spot on, like, if the team likes each other, you know, you're all kind of going towards that common goal because no one really cares about the stats. And, um, you know, thankfully this year, you know, we had a guy like Obi who, who truly didn't care about the stats. And every time he interviewed him, you know, it wasn't about me. It was like, you know, my teammates set me up for success and, um, you know, the guys just put me in the right place to be successful. And, you know, I put the ball through the hoop, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's, it, you know, hearing older players recognize that in their careers and now hearing it today, you know, you can certainly draw that common theme of, of what makes college teams successful, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, especially but, with like veteran veteran teams, you know, when, you know, we're not having McDonald's All-Americans coming through the door. Um, you know, I think it definitely helps with those, uh, you know, not I won't say lower level, but just, you know, second tier teams maybe that, you know, can't reload with that kind of talent every year. It's real. It's a big difference maker when everybody gets along and everybody is on the same page. And like you said, this year's team, that was a prime example. You can really tell. And obviously I wasn't day to day with them, so I could be off base, but everything I heard and everything I saw, they really, really seemed to, you know, love one another, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Um, so drilling into that, that 2002, 2003 season. Um, and again, I have a lot of younger listeners that might not have been following Dayton basketball back in that time. Uh, but the Flyers finished that season 24 and six, uh, 14 and two in the a 10 losing to, uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but, uh, you have the uh, distinction of being on the last Dayton Flyers team to play at Cameron indoor. Um, do you remember anything about that game? I, uh, I do. Um, I remember coming in, like the stadium was way smaller than, and not that nice as far as like amenities and everything than what it is, but it was, it's crazy seeing, you know, the floor, the rafters up there. Um, you know, for me, like, I, you know, again, on a selfish thing, I had, uh, just broke my hand and I was wanting, you know, I, Everybody, you, know, you say not to look ahead on the schedule, but you have something like Duke on the schedule. You know, you tend to look ahead and you're excited for it, you know, after hearing the schedule come out. So I had uh, broke my hand just right uh, before then and, uh, you know, tried to play with through it, played, wasn't all that uh, effective. You know, would have been nice to have a do over and to be healthy in, uh, in that game. But, uh, you know, I, I remember, I remember, um, you know, just the excitement of it, um, you know, going out for a normal stretching routine, which, you know, usually about 45 minutes before tip when it, you know, you go out there and uh, most places you go, it's empty, but Duke's entire student section was full. And this is a Christmas break game. So this isn't, I can only imagine what it's like when they're playing, you know, home against North Carolina or somebody, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, Dayton's in town and, their student section is completely full and they're, you know, already kind of 
giving us crap and counting like the stretches and, you know, doing one, two, three, four, you know, up to <laughs> 10 and then switch, you know, switch legs. It was, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and it's an, you know, experience that we'll never forget. And, you know, we had them, uh, you know, on the ropes and, you know, I think Duhan makes a steal as his only points of the game, makes a huge steal. You know, we make some kind of bonehead plays, uh, down the end, but we, uh, you know, we played them pretty well and that, I mean, if we didn't have confidence already, I think, you know, you don't ever consider maybe a good loss, but that was uh, definitely a confidence building loss. Yeah. And I, as like one of the, the wildest things is to look back through those non-con schedules because, you know, Dayton has certain um, challenges these days scheduling some of these games. And certainly uh, I doubt that Duke would even allow Dayton to come to, to Cameron Indoor these days. Um, yeah. Yeah, but like it, you know, in the this season specifically, like you guys had Cincinnati, you went to St. Louis, who wasn't in the A10 yet, uh, Villanova, of course, that buzzer beater. Um, <laughs> I I use that um, on the front of the show for our intro. So um, when we get done with this episode, you'll hear it on the front. Um, oh, and and then uh, and then Marquette, you know, you guys had them before you, you went into to A10 play. You know, how important was that to have like a lot of those tough teams before you went into the A10? You know, it just just be, you know, the level of play, right? Oh yeah, it's a uh, it it's big, especially um, you know, that year when obviously you had Xavier that was really good, but then after that like the A10 wasn't stacked. It was a lot better my senior year. I think we got, you know, five teams in or something, but uh yeah, that was the same thing um, with Jameer Nelson and all those. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it, it's it's big. And like you said, the Villanova coming in, Duke, Marquette, you know, so we play in some big, uh, you know, power five conference teams. And, uh, you know, once you, and you win a few of those, you really start believing that you can play with anyone in the country. And, you know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not going to back away from a, a challenge. As I, I said, when we kind of started going through the season a little bit, um, the two losses in conference were to Xavier home and away. Uh, one yeah. of those games, David West put up, I think it was 47, maybe something like yeah, that. I think that sounds right. Keith would probably um, know. I, don't know. I think Keith still uh, has nightmares about it. <laughs> yeah, he probably does. Um, you know, to this day, you know, Dayton hasn't won at the Cintas Center. They haven't won at Xavier since like the late 70s. Um, and nowadays, I think that most of the younger portion of the fan base just doesn't know what that rivalry yeah. was all about. I mean, I do because I grew up with Dayton hoops and anybody that's been with the program pre Archie Miller uh, knows that that was <laughs> the game, you know, every year, like you circle down on the calendar, like it was Dayton Xavier. Um, yeah. you speak to that rivalry a little bit and, and why it was so hard to, to win games over there. It was, I mean, it's, it's definitely a rivalry and it's unfortunate that, you know, now different conferences don't get to play uh, anymore. But, you know, you you didn't like those guys. And uh, I'm not going to go as far as comparing it to, you know, the big, you know, Duke, North Carolina, as I mentioned, or like the Lakers-Celtics rivalries or anything. But uh, yeah. it was it was a huge rivalry for, you know, Ohio and Southwest Ohio in particular. Um, you know, the crowds were always the best. You could always count on those being the loudest games. Uh, of the year always intense um you know it was it was a lot of fun to play and it was it would have been great to win one of those games you mentioned that streak is just incredible of the consecutive losses that Dayton has uh in Cincinnati but uh you know we were 
close-ish a few times. I, I think even that game that uh, he put up the almost 50 points, uh, we were still in the game. And Oh, yeah, it was and, a uh, one-point game, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, I that's one thing you know, wish I could change. I mean, there's probably a few things. But uh, that would be one just to get a win there and then watching, you know, the Flyers after I graduated – you know, that saver game. Cause like you said, even back then that was always a game that was on ESPN or ESPN two, just watching be like, come on, is this the year? Is this the year? And always, uh, came ashore, but the, the, those games were, those games were awesome. And, you know, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, it's not a rivalry anymore. And it's kind of similar in this area is how people feel about, uh, KU and Missouri, the, the border war. And they used to play every year, but then Missouri goes to SEC you know they no longer scheduled anymore. I think they've they've done a few like charity games in the preseason, but and even those I went to one the other. I don't want to get off topic, but I went to one the other year, which is crazy. Like sold out the Sprint Center downtown, so you can tell people are still clamoring for that rivalry. I think that would be the same kind of thing uh, with Dayton and Xavier if they could, you know, reignite that uh, that rivalry. But you know, we'll see. I'm not in charge of scheduling, unfortunately. Yeah, I know a couple of the guys at UD listen to this cast that are in charge of scheduling, and I can tell you that that is a one. It's a one-sided beef right now. Um, I think that UD would probably take any terms with Xavier these days to get them on the schedule. Um, And and talking about, I think I've never shared this story on on the podcast specifically, but a few of uh, my close friends have heard me share this. So I was at. um, We're we're talking, of course, about the Dayton Xavier rivalry. I was at a conference a couple of years ago uh, with a guy that played for Xavier in the mid '90s, and he he was talking about you know how much he, you know he loved playing Dayton, and he was like, "Oh, I had some of my best games in UD Arena," and he didn't <laughs> know that I went to UD when we were because we just started talking about college basketball, and yeah. I, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Dayton Arena is great," and then of course I told him afterwards that I went there. And so he's getting my blood just boiling up like, oh, yeah, I love playing at UD. I scored my best highs there, whatever. So he told me this story about David West because I, I brought him up and I was like, man, I can't stand that guy. I still can't stand him. Like my 14-year-old self is just like, ah, oh, I got a David yeah, West. You know? right? He's like the perfect villain for Dayton Flyers fans. But yep. uh, so he told me this story about he goes, David West used to sit in the back of the bus when they would go to UD. And he would be humming the fight song the entire way up I-75, just banging on the like like this, like literally humming the fight song all the way up to the arena. And he told me that. And I was like, I got to get up and take a walk. I was like, I'm so mad. (laughs) I was like, I'm so mad. Did uh, did Coach Brunel like have different talk tracks for those those games to kind of get you guys fired up? Or was he kind of a business as usual type of guy? I mean, he was I mean, I would say everybody knew it was you know a bigger game than you know others but um you know i i don't i don't remember he said anything uh specifically with that obviously you know they some of the assistants were a little bit louder with you know screaming xavier week and all that kind of stuff uh (laughs) when you got them uh going up so you definitely knew um you know what a you know what week it was and you know who we were playing but you know for the most part Purnell was just so relaxed. Uh, you know, obviously Gregory, a little bit different story, but, uh, you know, he was a lot more intense and then they would really be screaming about, you know, about the game and everything. But, uh, yeah, it was, I won't say it was business as usual because obviously it's not just any other game. Like if you're playing Fordham or something like that, but, uh, you know, we were aware of it. We were aware of 
I think every time we played my four years, uh, it was at least brought up once the, uh, the losing streak and having a chance to, uh, to kind of end that misery. But uh, unfortunately we weren't able to ever do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why we talk about the rivalry today, just, you know, with, uh, who's lusting after the next time that, uh, that we get to play Xavier. Um, exactly. So, you know, the, we're, as we're talking about again, the 2003 season, not all doom and gloom. I hate to, to go down that road and paint the picture for listeners. It was all doom and gloom because you guys also had the distinction of playing uh, the last two A-10 tournaments at home. Um, yeah. And of course you guys won 2003. So uh, what do you remember from that weekend? Just getting to play the tournament at home and then of course winning it and cutting down the nets and the students storm the floor. I mean, what, you know, what do you remember um, from, from that weekend? Oh, it was awesome. Um, you know, obviously it's a huge advantage to be able to host a tournament, you know, at your home, you sleep in your own bed. You kind of, why they don't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have the same, uh, you know, routine. So it gave us, you know, a, a big advantage, but I also think it was great for the A10 because, you know, I was, you know, there and there before that we're playing in the spectrum and, you know, it's a historic arena in Philly, but, there's nobody there. There's no atmosphere. It's uh, it's not fun to play in front of. So even you know, if let's say GW is playing Duquesne, there was still a lot of fans there because you know as Dayton's proved with the you know first four, people are going to come out and see. So I think it was great for every team. Obviously, probably others didn't like it that we were home and we also happened to be good. So it gave us a little bit of advantage. But uh, yeah, I'll never forget that uh, that. Those A10 runs, you know, it's disappointing we couldn't go back to back with it my senior year, but so much fun being able to cut down uh, the nets, being able to go out, uh, you know, the Thames afterwards and celebrate. I think that was one of the funnest nights uh, I had while I was in college, and uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, I understand why they they don't do it uh, anymore, but you know, sometimes you kind of wish they were because even you know, those games out in Brooklyn, there's a lot of Dayton fans, but there's for all the other games, there's nobody else there. Same with Atlantic city or, you know, any other host site that they've tried using, you know, in the past, it hasn't had nearly the fanfare that Dayton has, but you know, it is what it is, I guess. Right. Yeah. And and it's like, we're always going to be at a disadvantage for just being Dayton fans with the A-10 tournament, because, you know, we're in an East coast conference. It's when you get past the middle of Pennsylvania, you got Bonnie's, you got Duquesne, then there's Dayton and St. Louis and that's it. Um, So, you know, it's like, they've tried Pittsburgh, they've tried DC, you know, both of those sites were fairly empty. And then, you know, when they had it in Pittsburgh, Dayton got knocked out on Friday, which was like a nightmare scenario for the A-10 because, they would have had their yeah, biggest crowds at the Dayton games. You know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, um, so uh, you guys win the A10 tournament um, on a Saturday afternoon, and then you know the next day is Selection Sunday. Um, yep. Of course, you, you see yourself come up on the four line against uh, a scrappy Tulsa team. Um, yeah. What did you guys do for Selection Sunday back then? What, what was that day like for you? So. Um... We were up in the flyer deck, which I don't even know at the time it was open, um, but we were up there. Like, I don't know if it had been open to the public or if they were still kind of in the construction phase. My memory's not that great, but I know we were up there. Uh, it was very festive because um, obviously when you win the conference tournament, there's no kind of you know questioning whether or not you're in the tournament. You know you're in. It's just you're whether in. or not you're going to be where. 
Um, and I think that was also maybe the first year that they started doing the pod system and they were trying to keep the top four teams kind of relatively close. And so you're looking at sites of where we're hoping we're going to go. And, um, you know, everything didn't end up, uh, <laughs> Spokane, Washington was not the place wanted to be. Um, but it was, I just remember being, you know, a lot of fun and, you know, sitting there when, you know, it was called, I think, you know, we thought we were going to have a pretty good seed four seed, you know, we weren't expecting that, but it was, uh, it was super exciting. And then, you know, I want to jump ahead because I was soon know what happened to the game, but then, you know, yeah. you start feeling really good about yourself, you knowing that Tulsa is a good team, but I think, you know, you also think that you're, you're, look, you're the four seed, you know, you're not going to lose, you know, you shouldn't lose those games and you start looking yeah. on to like the sweet 16 and all that stuff, which probably we shouldn't have done because that Tulsa team was really good. And we, they came out and punched us in the mouth and, you know, we tried to recover and get back in the second half, but you know, just fell a little bit short. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, better than anybody, how, how much of a crapshoot it is when you get into the tournament, right? Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. You know, Brooks had a cold night against Tulsa and, you know, he just wasn't shooting his best and, and that's it. That's all she wrote. You know, 20 minutes later, you're out of the tournament, you're heading home. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, it's over fast. Well, yeah. And, and that's, that was what I was going to ask next was, you know, we as Dayton fans, I think a lot of people were like, here's where the first weekend is. Here's where the second weekend is, you know, cause we were looking at probably being a one or a two seed this yep. past year. And, and I heard so many people talking about, oh, uh, well, we'll go to the second round wherever it is. And I'm like, listen, like whether you're a one seed, two seed or a 15 seed, like nothing's promised in the tournament. I mean, everything is so fickle and it's yeah. all about the matchups and who's on their game on that particular day. But I was the first person to tell people like pump the brakes, like the team we play in the second round is going to be the best team we've played all year. And exactly. um, yeah, they're not going to be a bunch of scrubs. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, you know, it, I, not that like it's, it's worth reminiscing, but I mean, what was that trip home like for you guys? Cause you were on a, what, a three, four hour flight home yeah. and uh, oh. not expecting it. Right. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a bummer. I remember, um, you know, the locker room was obviously sad. Uh, afterwards you're in shock and you know, you're embarrassed as well being a four seed, you know, getting knocked out by a 13. And then, uh, you know, there was a group of us, went out uh you know walked the streets from our hotel in spokane and you know was kind of walking around i think we were trying to even find you know beers or something like that but i feel like nothing was open maybe it's just because in my mind like i was so depressed and you know upset it just seemed really depressing it was just a ghost town which we're just you know walking down the streets and then like you said the the flight home it's long it's uh you know it's not much fun and you know it's 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 not a good feeling, but you know, sixty three or I guess now what sixty seven teams, uh, you know, feel that way. You know, there's only going to be one team that ends with a a win at the end of the year, but you know, not it's it's tough when you know everything you worked for all year just kind of comes to an end and and an unexpected end uh, at that. So it's it's tough to process, and you know, you're down for a week, but then you know, you just get back and get back to it. Yeah, and and of course the the trajectory of um, of the program was was going to take um, 
kind of a wild turn, right? Um, oh, right yeah. after that season. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Oliver Purnell leaving for Clemson. And um, and you guys, you know, really were, were coming back strong with, with a really, really solid team. Uh, before yeah. I, I jump into that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rattle off a couple of stats for you because I'm sure that you've never looked these things up. Maybe you have. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that 2003 season, I'm sure you did not know this. Uh, offensive rating calculated by Ken Palm. We use it all the time. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's KenPalm.com. I'm sure most people that listen to me know that I'm talking about. But um, all year, you know, I was watching these stats like a hawk because of Obi Toppin. Of course, he ended up being player of the year. Um, yeah. You know, all of his offensive numbers were off the charts. Um, he had a, a 122 offensive efficiency rating. Yours in yeah. that year was 130, which was good enough for second best in the entire country. I bet you didn't know. Hey. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably helps that I'm shooting all my shots only two feet away. He's actually shooting crazy <laughs> stuff, but uh, <laughs> so I, I, I knew I was. I didn't know what was on the rate. I knew I was like I think top five or so in field goal percentage. But again, you know, I'd be pretty crappy if I didn't because again, I'm. I know what I was good at, and I was not going to extend myself into you know situations where I wasn't effective or couldn't make the shot. But I, that's a pretty cool stat. Yeah. Obi in one thing. Well, actually, yeah, I can go even further. So Obi was like he was um he was regarded as, as being incredibly proficient from two point range, and he was actually yeah. um he shot uh 70%. So he was 0.698 percentage uh from two point land in this past season. However, wow. in that season, 2003, you were at 0.707, 128 for 181 from two point range. 70% yourself, hey. man. There you go. Look at there. And what I did it with far less dunks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I, was say I, don't, uh, I don't think, Sean, I'm saying anything crazy by saying I don't think you could have gone through the legs and, and dunked. Uh, not, even, not even close. I would have hurt myself. It would have been. It would have been a bad time if I would have tried that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, getting back to, to that offseason, um, I love asking the guys like Kyle Davis or not, um, not Kyle, but um, the guys that, that stuck around on the team. And, um, you know, Archie told him that, that he was was taken off. Um, well, you know, what was that that day like when OP told you that, that he was leaving? And then, of course, you know, we'll get into to how it was with uh, with BG there. Yeah, um, he uh, when we had like our awards banquet and, you know, he you know, looking back on it, it's kind of weird because he wasn't really talking about like the next year is always like, and he even made that point like several times, if I remember correctly, of like, you know, we're not going to talk about next year. We're not going to be able to do that. Let's really focus on, you know, what we accomplished this year and all that stuff. Um, and then I want to say we were out and, um, you know, Keith does a good job of telling the story because I think somebody came up to him and was like, Oliver Bernal, you know, is leaving. And I think he kind of just dismissed the guy and was like, yeah, right. Because, you know, you hear that, you know, from time to time, just because, you know, his name would be brought up in a lot of different uh, jobs. And, you know, sure enough, it was, you know, on ESPN or whatever that he was taking the uh, the Clemson job. So, you know, we found out before he got a chance to tell us all personally. And then, like, he came back, I think, the next day and brought us in, you know, to the, uh, the arena in the film room. And... Uh, you know, let everybody know that, you know, he was, he loved us, all the stuff. And he was moving, uh, moving on. It was a little bit awkward. Cause like 
everybody already knew while we were going in there. So it wasn't like any kind of a shock. Imagine what it's like uh, nowadays, man. You know, on Twitter, like the moment shit happens, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, it wasn't like we were just coming in for like an end of the year team meeting and then he just dropped a bomb on us. So, you know, we kind of knew what it was, all the guys had obviously been talking about it and, you know, we had it. So it was a little bit, uh, you know, awkward in that sense, uh, you know, when he's left, but you know, I, I don't know how everyone else feels, you know, about Purnell. I really liked him. He was awesome. He's a big reason that, uh, you know, I came there. So I understood, you know, taking the job, you know, he's going ACC, good opportunity for him. And it's a business, you know, at the end of the day, but, um, you know, it was, it was sad to see him go, especially, you know, knowing what we had coming back, you know, wanting to keep kind of everything the same, which I'm sure we'll kind of touch on with Gregory here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, that next year, 2004 is where we're heading into right now. Um, just kind of going, as I said, chronologically through, through the years. And um, I think if you ask most people, Sean, that are close to the program, um, Oliver Purnell is very highly regarded um, just because he really saved Dayton basketball. And, and, yeah. and, you know, what I mean by that, obviously, is like in the early 90s, there were a lot of dark days and Jim O'Brien just wasn't quite the guy for the job. <laughs> and you know, he was more of like an NBA type of guy and he didn't get it done at Dayton. And, um, you know, so then in comes OP in, in 94, 95, and then Dayton joins the A-10. And um, like you said, he brought in guys that were high character guys, good guys like Mark Ashman, like Ryan Perryman. Um, and, and those guys are really responsible for bringing Dayton basketball back because I shudder to think of like what it would be if, if those classes of guys hadn't come through and kind of, um, you know, laid the groundwork for, for guys like you and Keith to, to really shine. Um, and, and for listeners out there that might not know, I mean, to this day, you know, you and Keith made up the best front court that, that Dayton's ever had. It still stands. Um, now, obviously, a lot of that is how the game has changed. Um, yeah. Just the game of basketball has changed nowadays. And, of course, Archie's teams were all about, uh, you know, continuity and, and they were smaller lineups and whatnot. Um, but like you said, knowing what you had coming back and having that great uh, front court with you and Keith, guys that really, you know, shared the scoring between the two of you that senior year in 2004. Um, you know, BG comes in and he didn't really, not that I'm not taking anything away from him, but he didn't really have to do too much other than make sure that the ship was steering in the right way. So what was his first kind of like message to you guys? Or how did he handle kind of being in the room with an experienced team and he was the new guy? Uh, yeah, and that was an adjustment. Obviously, he's a he had a lot of experience under Izzo, but this is his first, you know, job. We have four returning starters, uh, you know, coming back. His, um, you know, his energy was different, uh, you know, whereas, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, Purnell's very laid back, closer to my personality. And, uh, you know, BG to say he's intense would probably even be a little bit of an understatement. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was just different. I mean, we brought the, the Michigan state way, obviously that works very well, um, you know, for them. Uh, you know, I think it was maybe tough with us because we did have so many, you know, veteran guys coming back you know, we had three seniors uh, returning and then, you know, junior and Mark Jones and, you know, and it was, it was just different. It was, um, you know, it would have been, you know, I think we still had a good year that we can be proud of, but it would have been interesting to see if we could have, you know, kept 
Purnell and kept everybody together for that next year for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that BG uh, sat you down for a game. Is that a short a story you can share? Or is that lost <laughs> in history? Oh man. Uh, yeah, I mean, now enough times passed. Um, <laughs> That's how it always is. Like when I ask guys, like like Ryan, Mike, so what the stories were. It's like, hey, you know what? Why don't we wait five years for some? Exactly. Of yeah, like enough time. <laughs> That's uh, no. So we're um, you know we're up in St. Joe's and just an insane game. Like uh, I think Jimmy Nelson had just um, you know been put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were number one in the country. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've been up to that uh, that arena, but it is tiny. But it was so loud and like you know, packed. You know, standing room only everywhere, and it was just crazy atmosphere. And you know, I I just didn't have a a good game. It was you know, I felt okay, but you know, things just you know, they just happened. Just didn't go that well. And uh, you know, he kind of challenged me, and uh, you know asked basically what the hell I was doing out there and, you know, all that stuff and put some choice words, uh, in on it. And then, you know, kind of, we lost the game obviously. And then it went into locker room and, you know, he talked all sorts of crap. And then, uh, he, you know, he had made threats like after the game that, you know, I wasn't going to be starting anymore. I think he might've said, I don't remember cause I was pretty pissed off and I really wasn't wanting to listen to him, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know came back and we started we had the day off because i think we probably played one on saturday so we had sunday off and then uh came back and played uh or went to practice on monday and you know wasn't in the uh the first group and we were playing i want to say it was duquesne following that game and uh didn't start but i think it was the first off the bench and i played probably the same normal minutes and i uh I want to say I had a pretty solid game that game. I'd have to again look, but then got reinstated back into the uh, the starting lineup. But uh, yeah, he was he was not very happy. I wasn't I wasn't very happy either, and snapped the uh, the start streak there at the end of my senior year. Yeah, we uh, we had a similar story on the cast last summer. I had Kyle Davis on, and um, he was talking about his senior year with Archie Miller. And he said, you know, we lost to Nebraska and we're in the film room and Nebraska sucked. Like they were not, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have beat UD in, in that, um, that game. It was like over Thanksgiving, I remember. And Kyle said that um, I'm, of course, like shamelessly plugging my own podcast for people that haven't listened to it. Um, <laughs> but he, he basically said something along the lines of Archie Miller said, you know, you got people's heads are so far up your ass. Like, you know, you're playing lackadaisical and I'll bench all you motherfuckers. Like, I don't care, you yeah. know, and Kyle, <laughs> yeah. Kyle was super blunt about it. And um, I can imagine that, that BG had similar rants to that one, you know? Oh yeah. It was, uh, it was profanity laced and <laughs> demeaning and demoralizing everything. It was, it was not a lot of fun. I was like super pissed off at the same time. It's like, you know, there's part of me that just wants to like start screaming back and being like, where do you get off? Like, doing this but you know would have been probably not a good idea for a player to do something <laughs> like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah he probably would have benched again um i ask this question to everybody that comes on the cast that's played for the flyers um your your favorite place to play a game that was outside of the arena and what was your least favorite place to play uh i mean the the one time cameron indoor is an easy one uh to say but uh you know i, I yeah it has to be Xavier just because of the atmosphere. And then when they, 
you know, they built the CentOS Center. It's brand new, it's shiny. It's, uh, you know, super nice. Um, you know, Fordham was a dump. I'm sure it still is. The only fun part would be, (laughs) the only fun part would be like that you're in New York city. And then, you know, we, when we're out there a few times, we got to, you know, go downtown and, uh, you know, see Times Square. And at the time, you know, being a small town kid from Western Kansas is the first time, you know, being down there. So that was fun, but the actual game part was nice. But yeah, a lot of really kind of crappy arenas in the, uh, in the eight and that didn't have a lot of atmosphere. Like, cause I know UMass was probably awesome when Calipari was there, but when we were there, their teams weren't very good. So yeah, not much of an atmosphere there. Duquesne was fun in the sense that it was 90% Dayton people. It still um, is. <laughs> exactly. So it still is. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's another home game. I was at those um, games when I was a kid. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah that, that was nice. A lot of, uh, lot of folks there um so i don't know yeah so probably xavier outside of losing that and having a bad experience uh at the saint joe even though it's a bad gym like that atmosphere was something i'll I'll never uh i'll never forget and then you know playing in a few of the nba arenas i think when we played uh we play um was it purdue maybe i can't remember uh that we played in uh indianapolis like at canseco i think it was still canseco at the time Yep. Uh, that was, uh, that was pretty good time as well. So we got to see some really cool places going out to Hawaii twice, like the court, maybe the arena is not so nice, but just being out there is really awesome. Yeah. And obviously we are, um, you know, just removed from that this year, um, just cause the team was out there. And so I got to, I asked Keith about that last summer as well, just, um, how it is playing out in that gym and how small it is. And like now, um, it hasn't changed at all. I mean, it's just yeah. still like the same small gym on the beach out there. And I think that's what makes it such an awesome tournament because like, you know how it is. Like when you watch those games on television, you yeah. cannot mistake that gym for any place else in the world. Like you turn on oh, the television you're like, Oh, that's the Maui invitational. You know, yeah. the, the locker rooms um, were just like a joke too. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> it was like upstairs kind of like behind the basket. It was, uh, it was good, but you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then you had, you know, super early tip times too to try to adjust to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I always ask that question about the arenas for the exact reason that you brought up. Um, you know, we still do have a bunch of shitty arenas in the A-10. Like LaSalle <laughs> still plays at Gola that smells like a swimming yep. pool. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it, like, you know, Hagen arena is small. It's a nice arena, but it's still really small um Fordham's still a dump and nobody ever goes there and then yeah. you know even like the Smith Center and at GW it's a nice building but it's small and yeah. um you know it, not not a lot has changed believe it or not from the time that you played until now I mean probably the only <laughs> yeah. like huge difference um is, is Chaffetz Arena which opened uh yeah. I want to say like 2010 maybe or something like that um, yeah, right. and, and then Duquesne's going to get uh, a renovation now soon. So the Palumbo center will be brand new in Pittsburgh for all those Dayton fans that make the trip. Um, well, it, and Dayton is like unrecognizable to me, like the arena, every time, you know, come back for a game and they've done another upgrade. And that's a, that's a state of the art facility, man. That is, it's so much fun going back. And even the campus, like it's unrecognizable. Like I'm used to all these crappy houses where you can, you know, didn't, didn't matter if you poured beer on the floor or whatever. <laughs> and now like, they're all super nice. 
At least on the outside, they look nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, senior year, what house did you live in? Out of curiosity, uh, we were still um, garden apartments. Okay. So I uh, actually lived with Keith my uh, senior year. So we were garden apartments, um, sophomore through senior year, and then uh, you know, obviously freshman year was Marycrest. Yeah. And I I believe they're all in really nice places now, but. Yeah, well, that was it. Was like that with garden apartments up until the time I was at UD as well. And now, um, you know, there's all those like new apartment buildings where the players yeah. are at now, like in Caldwell Apartments or whatever. Um, but you did say you make it back to campus like once a year, right? I do. Yeah. So I may. Yeah, I went back for that senior uh, senior game. We usually try to get back for uh you know all the reunions in june and we've a uh, few times rented out the uh one of the guest houses there um names uh was it on brown street there yep uh yep. we've rented out those a few times and had fun i believe although i haven't seen anything official i believe they've canceled that completely because of covid but yeah uh, you know we'll have to hopefully aim for it next summer but we'll plan to to be back to a uh, to game, but yeah, I've, I think, I mean, I I played a little bit after college, but I think since I've been done playing, that I've uh, made it to at least one game a year. Obviously, I'd like to make it to uh, to more, and hopefully, schedule allows it that I can you know go tomorrow. I'm just really happy that uh, I got to see this year's team uh, in person and in that second half, uh, especially uh, yeah. on that night. They did not disappoint. They I was convinced, you know, after seeing that, that, you know, they can beat any team in the country and would have been, uh, you know, a lot of fun. And there's always going to be a lot of what ifs, you know, surrounding this team, because I think everybody, you know, pretty much feels that they had a very legitimate shot to win a national championship. And, you know, as you know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, Dayton is going to have anything like this in our lifetimes. I hope that we do, but, you know, as far as a coach of the year having, you know, a talent like Obi Toppin, you know, who knows Dayton's ever going to have another player of the year, uh, you know, type of player. So, and you, yeah. I mean, it just, it's, it's too bad for, uh, you know, Dayton and team and, you know, it's would have been a lot Family. of fun to see how it would have gone. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I said this on my last cast with, um, uh, with Ryan Mike sell interview I did recently, um, was that, you know, I would have rather the Flyers like gone out in heartbreaking fashion than this, you know, and, and yeah, I, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm not really telling you anything that you didn't know just because you guys had two really tough losses those last two years you were in school with, uh, with Tulsa and DePaul. But, you know, I was basically just like, I would rather have, have that gutted feeling than never knowing what this team amounted to. And, and I know that you, <laughs> have, you know, experienced it. So you could probably talk to it a little bit better than I could. Yeah, no, I agree. They, uh, I mean, they were just, they're, they're playing so well, like everything was, everything was clicking and it was, uh, you know, this, this was kind of a, a weird year for college basketball because it was, you know, pretty wide open. Like there was, you, know, you probably name 10 or 15 teams that had a legitimate shot at winning, uh, you know, the whole thing. And Dayton was, you know, one of the best, you know, heading to be a one seed. So. Yep. Uh, yeah, it would have been awesome to see how it would have uh, played out, and you know now we can, 
I guess we can just call ourselves national champions since we didn't <laughs> actually lose. <laughs> Put many, a banner many on Twitter arena. have been doing that, my friends. Many on Twitter. <laughs> I've seen uh, a few of the shirts like yeah, Dayton 2020 national championships or champions probably. Uh, I like those. Yeah, I, I told people, I'm like, I'm not selling those on our site. We're going to keep selling loud shirts. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll keep selling <laughs> all the gear, but I am not doing 2020 champions. Uh, I'm treating it like an ex-girlfriend. It's dead and gone now. Um, sure. and, you know, it's like, I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to look back. Um, I know. But, but uh, you know, wrapping things up here, um, you know, where, where did things take you after school? How long did you play? Where did you play? You know, how was it? Yeah. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to, to play a little bit after I graduated, which, you know, we talked about, or you talked about briefly, it's, you know, the game has changed so much that, you know, if me coming out as a high school senior now with the same kind of skill set, there wouldn't be a whole lot of places for me to play. Uh, I would have had to drastically change my game, but, uh, you know, came out of time where there was still more of a traditional post player, but I, uh, I got an opportunity to go to training camp with, uh, the New Orleans Hornets before they were the Pelicans before Katrina. So 2004, mm-hmm. uh, then got released and played in the D league kind of bounced around and you know, that, and the, the D league is, was, was really crappy. Uh, I think now it's a lot more organized and you know, yep. in better cities, but at the time it was kind of crappy, but, uh, I wouldn't say it's in better cities, but it's definitely more. Yeah, I'd say maybe not in better cities, but this was really, they were all like in the Southeast and like military cities. It was, okay. it was bad. Um, <laughs> and then went over to uh, Europe and played for eight more years. So I was in uh, Germany for a couple of years, Switzerland for a couple, Turkey, Ukraine. So I had a great experience. Um, you know, got to see the world, experience different cultures. Um, you know, make a little money. And, uh, it was, you know, it was good. And so I'm grateful for, you know, what basketball did for me I, towards the end. I, um, you know, kind of got burnt out. It just, it wasn't fun. And maybe it's just part of kind of being over there. I just missed family and friends and it became where basketball wasn't as exciting. Like first basketball is not the number one sport, you know, in the world, unless you're in like one of the big leagues where, you know, the fans actually really care, but for the most part there's not much of an atmosphere to a lot of those games and uh it just wasn't fun anymore so I kind of knew that's when it was time to be done and I was healthy you know fortunately that uh you know I wasn't forced out because of injury but uh you know came back and took little time of intentional time off just trying to you know figure out what I want to do also made up for lost time of being away for so long for sure um and uh you know, worked a few different things and then uh, got into this mortgage game and uh, you know, enjoying it for enjoying it for now. It's, it's, what's nice is it's kind of flexible that, you know, I, I'm not tied to a desk, uh, you know, nine to five. I think that after playing basketball and, you know, everything, I don't think I could live in a life doing that, but uh, you know, happy, got three great boys and, you know, enjoying, uh, enjoying life not enjoying this quarantine stuff as much but for the most part pretty happy in life well yeah you, you beat me to the punch to that question because there's always a point keith even said the same thing of like when you know basketball is is a job just like anything yeah. else and, and you know like when it's time to hang up you know you know when you're done um 
you know, in, in Keith's case, you know, he had a, a long run over there in Europe and yeah. I think he, he won almost 10 years. Um, yeah. But, you know, he told me the same was just that you, you just know when your time's up. And, and I respect guys that that have that mindset of just not trying to play because that's what you're good at. You know, life goes on. You got other shit going on. And and like exactly. you said, it's, it's tough to like be over there um, in, in Europe all the time and um, and, yeah, and be in countries that are that are unfamiliar. Right. Yeah, it's, it's lonely. I mean, sometimes, you know, and I was in some great situations where, you know, I'm, the Americans on the team were, you know, just everybody on the team was great. And, you know, I still have relations with them now. Um, but, you know, you get stuck in a place where, you know, you may not like the other American or the other American just doesn't want to, you know, interact with you outside of basketball. And <laughs> yeah. it can, uh, you know, it gets really lonely and feels uh, like you're over there for a long time. And I'm a big uh you know, guy that values happiness, you know, over pretty much everything, you know, money, you know, whatever. Uh, and, you know, if, I, if I'm doing something, I'm not happy. It's like, why am I going to continue to waste my time doing this? You know, I get one shot at life. So I'm going to try to go in and enjoy it at least and, you know, not be miserable. And that's uh that's a perfect way to to bookend the whole conversation, hey, man. And I uh, of course really appreciate the time to to kind of go back down memory lane here and and regale the fans with um, you know some of the stories from the playing days because you know believe it or not a lot of people you know want to hear about this kind of stuff but don't necessarily um, you know have the chance to hear you guys talk about those days and and like I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, you guys get out of school and then you go play overseas and it's really easy for the fan base to kind of lose touch with like where your career takes you and and where you end up. Um, so, you know, again, I really thank you for the time, man, just sharing some of your stories from the old days. And, um, the, the 12 year old in me would certainly, uh, be jumping up and down if he knew that I was on the mic with Sean Finn. But, um, I, I always let, uh, all of my guests have final thoughts before, uh, I take the episode out. And uh, you certainly are no different. So uh, any final thoughts to, to bookend the conversation and uh, extend some kind words to the, the Flyer Nation out there? Uh, absolutely. I mean, first, just want to, uh, you know, thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, this is awesome. You know, you're doing a great job with it. and You've gotten quite the following. So I'm definitely honored to be uh, a part of it. And hopefully, you know, maybe in the future, get an opportunity to, to do it again. But, you know, I love Dayton, love, uh, love the Flyers. Um, you know, just, uh, really happy that, you know, the small Kansas or small town Kansas kid, you know, was able to make it out there and everybody kind of took me in and, uh, you know, treated me like family. So I'm grateful for my, uh, experiences there, you know, I'll continue to, you know, be part of the Flyer faithful and, you know, watching games when I can't, uh, attend in person, but, uh, you know, excited for what the future holds, you know, still a little bit bummed about how this season ended, but, uh, you know, that's the world we're living in. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, people have it a lot worse, uh, you know, than just missing out on, you know, some sports. So Flyers will be back next year and I'm, I'm excited for what the future holds. Well, it sounds like you're already pretty good at wearing red and being loud. So you continue to do that in Kansas City. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, we'll be doing this again, maybe next season. So thanks again for coming on, man. This is a great joy. Absolutely. Thanks, Sully. Talk soon. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.